God is good and he's with us, isn't he? He never leaves us, never forsakes us. He is always with you. He's got a plan and he's got a purpose. I never will get tired of saying that. How much he loves you, how much he cares for you. We're never ever going to get tired of saying, talking about the love of Jesus and the plan of God for your life. Isn't God good? And who has been rescued by God? Who hasn't realized yet you've been rescued? (laughs) Many, many times. Thank you. That's right, Linda. Many times. And he's going to keep rescuing us. That's what he does. That's what Jesus came to do. We have to realize that God created Adam and Eve for one purpose. He didn't say, hey, that planet over there looks lonely. God didn't look at a planet and think, well, I'm bored. I've got nothing to do. I'll just make man. But God, the Bible tells us that God had made the earth and he made the animals, he made the plants and he made all these things and he said, but it's not complete yet. He wanted companionship, didn't he? God wanted companionship. And Adam and Eve, it says that God came down when they sinned and he came down to meet with them. And it appears by the word that that's what he did. That's what he would do. It says he came in the cool of the evening looking for Adam and Eve. And they were hiding because of their sin. That's what sin does. Sin drives you into hiding. Sin separates us from God. That's why the devil tricked Adam and Eve into sinning was just to create a blockade, a separation from God. That's all it is. That's all that sin is, is a blockade. It's a separator. And Jesus came, just like that song said, and started tearing down those walls. He tears down every single wall. Jesus does. There's a funny Christian joke. Why couldn't Jesus ever be a jeweler? Because he breaks every chain, which is really funny to me. I love dad jokes. (laughs) That's a good dad joke. But he does. Jesus breaks every single chain. He tears down every single wall. He wants to free you. We were never, ever meant to be in bondage. We were never, ever meant to be in bondage. Any bondage that you are in is not from God. You need to get that through your head right now as a Christian because it'll free you. Does the Lord use our bondage, though, that the enemy put us in and we put ourselves in? Of course he does. The Lord, the Bible tells us that he uses all things. So the very bondage that you put yourself in or that you let the enemy put yourself in, God's using He uses it to teach us, and ultimately, when we've learned our lesson in that season, not because God made us, but he allowed it, because why? What do we do? What what do we do as believers when we've learned our lesson? We turn to God. God allows it for your good, because then the rescuing, then you recognize, wow. If we don't recognize that we need to be rescued, we're never going to cry out. So many times he... We'll let it work. He'll let that bondage work so that then it drives us to our knees. And God is so jealous for you. He loves you so much. He made you for companionship. He made you to know you. He didn't make you to know about him. We can know about God. We can know all about God. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they knew all about God. And Jesus comes and stands right in front of them, and they crucified him. 
We cannot afford to know about God, even all about God. We must know him. It's a relationship. Without relationship, I hate when people compare Christianity and they try to sell Christianity as if it's some sort of marketing thing. Let me tell you why Christianity is different from the other religions. Let me tell you why it's better than other religions. Who cares? I don't care if it's good or worse because it's the only way. It's the truth. We don't need to sell Christianity of, well, every other one makes you work and everyone makes you do this, but in Christianity, you can have relationship. But then it's funny is we say that as our sales pitch and then we come into Christianity and it's like, okay, well, let's start learning about God. Let's just learn about him. We must know him. We must learn to know him. Does this make sense? We've got to know him. I don't want to know about Dawn. I want to know her. She doesn't want to know about me, I hope. She wants to know me. It's a fine line, isn't it? Everything in Christianity, I say this often, and it really is. Everything in, in your life following God is fine lines. And don't go try to find those lines either. You're in trouble already if you're trying to find that line. But it's all fine lines. Because, of course, in knowing her, I know about her. In knowing about God, I know him. But our pursuit, our pursuit, and God will make you... <laughs> God will make you learn that because he loves you, that it's not enough to know about him. He will make you learn if that's what it takes. Not, he doesn't put you in those boxes, doesn't put those chains on you, but he will make you learn in that time that it's only him that we can, that we, if we know him, that it's only him in knowing him that we can call out to him that he will come, he will rescue us not just to say, okay, there you go again, although we do, and he'll rescue us again because of his love, but so that then we can have a walk with him. Amen. God is so good, isn't he? I mean, he, I just, I cannot get tired of saying that. That is not a line. That's not a filler. That's not a fill line. That's not a preacher's line. It's not a segue. That is truly something that we can just keep saying God is good. Sometimes I just pray. I'll drive from one point to another, and I just say one thing to the Lord, thank you. I just say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And I can't get tired of it. It's not a religious thing I do. I, I mean it every time I say it. Every time I say it, another revelation of his grace and his mercy and his favor comes. God is so good, and he wants you to know him. And that's really what this, this season I've been starting to preach on, is that we have to cross over from knowing about God to knowing him. And it's such a fine line, but we, it's so dangerous. And, and people did it. And we have the proof of the word. There was a people that knew all about him that missed him. So it, it's not something that I'm talking about as, uh, as uh, an idea that I have in my mind or that the Holy Spirit has personally warned me about. It's in his word. This has happened. It's been documented that there is a people that could know everything about him and yet not know him. Even Satan knows the Bible better than you ever will. Believe me, Satan knows the Bible. He's got nothing but time. He doesn't live in time. Not only does he know the Bible better than you ever will, he knows you better than you ever will. And he knows your daddy's, 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 daddy's problem too that passed on down to you. 
we can only know Jesus. That is the only way. And the Holy Spirit uses his word, but the word by itself is just a book. As I've been saying, the Bible on its own is studied in colleges across the country. Every single college studies the Bible as they do other religions as theology and philosophy. And they know all about it. In fact, remember the guy who discovered the Bible code? He wasn't a Christian. When he wrote the book about the Bible, anybody remember the Bible code? Very interesting. In the Torah, the code. Very, very interesting. But he's an atheist. How funny. Christians took it, sucked it up. Computer programs, the books, ate that up. And the guy himself is an atheist. You can know all about God, even have lots of knowledge about God, even knowledge that was like secret hidden knowledge, whether you believe it or not, whatever. But found something very interesting hidden within the pages of the word and still didn't even know God. We must know him. Does this make any sense? And it's something that I'm saying in words, but your spirit has to agree with more than the words. And right now your spirit, because mine is, is jumping. When I say you need to know him, it's jumping just like it jumped the first time someone said, you need to know him. I've been just reminding us of those moments where we got saved, right? Moments where we got saved the first time or, or times that we came back and renewed our lives. And uh, at 15 years old, I had like a renewal. I had been in it. I knew all about them. I could tell you frontwards and backwards every story of the Bible. If there was a Sunday school, Friday night, Wednesday night, I was there. I knew every single story you could possibly, every character, every part. I knew better then than I do now. But at 15 years old, the Lord came and said, I want to know you. Which is a bit of a shock because you think you know him. And I remember this preacher, and he's preaching. I can't tell you one word he said. I don't remember one scripture. I don't remember one clever line that he used One line that he sat down and said, oh, this will really catch their attention. I couldn't tell you one thing he said, but something in my spirit started to beat. The heart of God started to beat in me that I needed to know him. We need to know Jesus. And I dedicated my life and I I said, okay, yes, Lord. I don't even know fully what that means. And it's been a, a, a... mountains and valleys since who's been on that ride with God. That's not all mountaintops. Mountains and valleys, lots of learning, lots of mistakes. But I can say that from that moment on, even though we're not perfect, just like Paul says, we press on. We haven't achieved it yet. We're not perfect, but we're pressing on. I can say from that moment on, when I made that commitment to know him, that has been my heart's intent ever since, to know him not know about him, to know him. Now, the funny thing is, I knew the Bible, but now I began to read the same scriptures that I knew with new eyes to see. Eyes of the Spirit. Began to read the same exact verses now, and they started coming to life. Who's been there? Who remembers these moments? And I don't think that ever stops. I truly believe that the Holy Spirit wants to do it again. He wants to take those same scriptures that become, remember, we we do this all the time, and I mention this often as a preacher. I know that. 
You know what the problem is being a Christian for more than three months? We become know-it-alls. All of us. I know that. I know that. We just we get, we get used to it. And we know that. Do you know that's when accidents happen statistically? The more accidents happen when you get into the place that you know the most, it's within whatever it is, less than five miles from your house. I've done it more than once. I have a history of that. More than once within miles of my house because I knew those roads. You get lax, you get casual. I know this. I just want to talk to you just for a little bit. Let's turn to the book of Romans chapter 12. I want to continue on what the Lord's been speaking to us about. I was talking about the divided mind last week and two minds, and we need the single mind. Everybody say, I need the single mind. Say, there's two minds because your mind has a mind of its own. But we need the mind of Christ. Our mind thinks like this world. And to be perfectly honest... Sometimes Christians come to me and they say, hey, I'm, 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 I have strange thoughts. I'm thinking dark things. And I say, I know. So do I. I don't dwell on those things, but those thoughts, they're going to come. I doubt God. I don't trust God. Right? Fear and worry. Those things, they come. You just, that mind is no longer boss anymore. That's the old mind. And until the day you die, this human flesh is still on, these, on, it's on this spirit. This human flesh is still here. If anybody is here without a body, let me know. Anybody here without their human mind? But that mind that tries to rule is being subdued by the mind of Christ. That's what it means to be single-minded. I want to say that again because I said it last week. Don't be condemned when the other mind, the mind of fear and the mind of worry, the mind of this world, the mind of flesh and all the other things that come with it, don't be condemned when that mind shows itself. You just tell that mind that I have the mind of Christ. That's not my mind anymore. I don't live by that mind. I live in obedience. I live in humility. I live subdued under the headship. Christ is the head. You don't have a head anymore. You got to lose your head. Did you know that? Do you know even, the, even in Revelation, it tells us in Revelation that when Satan persecutes the church, it's a beheading. Isn't that interesting? And because you know what, this is, and this excites me, I'm sorry. The, the act of beheading doesn't excite me, but it's exciting that God uses all of it. Even the devil coming to try to pursue is actually fulfilling what needs to happen. You got to lose your head. Well, the cross wasn't pleasant either, and God used it. Who's thankful that God used it? Something that wasn't pleasant. You have to lose your head. You cannot rule. You cannot use this head. This head will mess you up. Who's been messed up in the head? <laughs> we need to get rid of it. Just make a commitment to God today. I'm getting rid of it. This is what it says in Romans 12 too. It says, don't 
copy the behavior and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a, everybody say, new person. Who does the transforming? God. The New King James says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Who felt some mind renewal this week? I said it last week, and I said, you watch. Has anybody experienced some of that this week? And here's how it works for some. Some, you just feel good. Some of you, you go, wow, I wasn't thinking too good a lot. But I realized that that old mind was still there. And I put it in submission to the mind of Christ. Anybody experience that? Anybody feel anxious and say, I don't want to feel anxious anymore? Put it under the mind of Christ. Let God transform you by the renewing of your mind. It says that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. Go back to the NLT. It says then, everybody say then. See, you can't do it. Everybody say I can't do it. I know humans don't like saying that. Nike, just do it. I can do all things. Yes, through Christ who strengthens you, everybody loves that I can do all things. And we say it, but really what you're saying is I can do all things. You ever forget Christ in that? You say I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but we forget Christ. We put it back on our own strength. It's not a strength thing. It's not a mind over matter thing. It's actually just the opposite. It's in your weakness. It's in totally losing yourself. It's in totally letting go. It's in just, just complete abandonment. It's the lowest, the crushing, the pains, the hurts, the sufferings. It's in all of that that God begins to raise something out of those ashes, right? And create something beautiful. That's the transformation. It's in total death. It's in the losing of your head. It's in the shedding of your flesh, etc. I mean, I have a million verses and some of them are here. I hope I'll read some of these verses here, but it's the, it's the letting go, the stripping off. It's the gone of you and, and, the, and Christ coming up. That's the way and that's the only way. It says then, everybody say then. Then you will know God's will for you. You can't know God's will until you let God be God. You can't even know his will. Where's his will Where is God's will? First of all, it's in his heart, but God was so kind to us that he penned it down on the word, penned it down on the pages. But then the world and twisted religions, right? Even Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, take those verses without the transformation, without the spirit of God and create whole new religions. It's not just the Bible. It has to be letting him do a death in you and a renewal in you because only then, everybody say, only then, only then, 
You have to get to this place where you are so humble. You have to get so low. Jesus, the Bible tells us that he humbled himself going to the cross. You cannot even know God's will for you until this happens. That's why you are saved instantaneously even though you're still a drug addict, even though you're still an alcoholic, even though you are still a loser of this world, so to speak, by the world's perspective. God sees you new and transformed in the spirit, but then something begins to happen. Instantaneously, he started this process. Do you know what this word is? Anybody know what this word is? We find it also, this similar parallel in Ephesians 4 tells us to, in Ephesians 4 verse 23 says, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes, put on your new, everybody say new, nature. Ephesians 4 verse 24 says, put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. This word is this word, metamorpho. This is the word metamorphosis in the Greek that we get this word transformed. Do you know what a metamorphosis is? Do you know what the butterfly does? The butterfly is a metamorphosis. The butterfly goes into a place that it's changed it doesn't bring the caterpillar back out. The caterpillar is dead. I'm a new creature with wings. I mean, the parallels, I mean, everything in God, even nature gives us the picture of God. Isn't that incredible? Because the Bible tells us that we will soar. If you will trust in God, if you will lean upon God, what's it tell us? We will soar with wings as eagles. The Lord... But you have to die. The caterpillar goes into, in, to go into metamorphosis, it literally goes into a death. A death to its old nature. A death to everything it knew. It doesn't crawl anymore. It flies. It leaves behind the old. This is not something that you could do on your own. This is not something you can do in your own strength. And I've been saying this this weeks up until today, and I'm going to say it again. Even me preaching it cannot be understood in your human ears. Your spirit can only understand this. I'm telling you, and you're going to get it the best you can in your mind, just as I'm getting it the best I can in my mind, but my spirit understands this more than my mind can ever understand it, that I need to die so that Christ can live. Come on, Galatians, let's pull this up. I have it here. It says Galatians 2, 20. Galatians 2, verse 20 says, My old self, everybody say, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. I mean, we preach this, and I say it, but the I still tries to live, doesn't it? What do you do when the I tries to live again? It's simple. Just go back to the cross. Don't get weird. Don't get religious. Don't say, I've already done that. Obviously, not fully. 
If the eye is rearing its head again, if the eye is coming out again, then just go back to the place of the cross and lay it down again. Lay it down. Just keep letting God renew. It's a constant. See, the butterfly goes through one, and then what's it do? It dies. Goes through one, lives for a few days. I'm a butterfly. (laughs) What we go through, really, death upon death upon death upon death. And even Jesus, Jesus was dying all the way up to the cross. Jesus had already died before the cross. To be brutally and bluntly honest about it, he had already died. You know when he died? In the Garden of Gethsemane. Thy will be done. The humbling process takes time, but it's one that we must keep doing. We had a a lot of discussions this week about humility. And last Sunday, I was talking with someone after church and I said, we were just talking about how you know, the Bible tells us to take the speck out of our brother's eye. It says, but first, everybody say, but first. What do we do first before we take the speck out of our brother's eye? We take the plank out of our own eye. And what I said to this person is, because we just need to love, don't we? We just need to keep loving, 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 loving. Because what happens is you start trying to pull the plank out of your eye so you can go deal with your brother's speck. What happens? Anybody ever pull the plank out of your eye? Don't raise your hand. It's a trick question. That is a trick question. Looking for pride. Scanning for pride in this room. Who pulled the plank out of their eye? It just keeps coming and coming and coming. By the time you go talk to your brother, You are Christ himself. You are so low, so broken, so humble that that speck now, where is that speck again? And it is through this process that Christ, this, it's incredible, all the pictures, but the word of God is like a seed, right? We know that. The word's clear that it's a seed. Goes into good ground. Who wants good ground in your heart? The Bible tells us that if it's hard ground, right, thorny ground, there's lots of ground that will keep that seed from growing. But if you put it in good ground, it grows. All we have to do is just make sure that ground stays soft. We keep it soft. We keep it watered with the word and the spirit. And it does its growing on its own. But that is a humbling process. What's happening is, is God's doing in something inside you. You just keep humbling yourself. That's what keeps, you know what hardness of heart is? What is hardness? Hardness and stubbornness towards God is I know. As soon as we tell God I know, or I've got this figured out, or I don't have a plank in my eye anymore. As soon as you think you're humble, you're not. Let's just read some more scriptures here. Let this, I'm going to let the verses preach so no one can accuse me. Let the verses preach. Thank you, Lord. 
See, because 1 Corinthians chapter 8 tells us, 1 Corinthians 8, 1 says, knowledge makes us feel important, but it's love that strengthens the church. Verse 2, anyone who claims to know all the answers doesn't really know very much. Verse 3, but the person who loves God is the one whom God recognizes. We must get low, 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 low in God. God lifts you up. God uses you. It's God. It's not you. It's God. We need to get his strength. Actually, my dad yesterday asked me, he said, you ready to preach tomorrow? And I said, I never am. Never. Never, ever ready to preach. First of all, the word's just so big, it's unlimited. Where do you stop? I didn't say, that is, I'm not saying that in any type of pride or, or any, I mean, I, I'm saying that as low as I can. But that I'm never, ever ready. I just do it because the Lord's told us to. I spend the time with him, get his word, know his word, and then, okay, Holy Spirit, this is your church. These are your people. This is your word, not my word. In fact, if you look at my notes, they're getting a lot less of me. They're just, all of my notes are anymore is chunks of scripture. I stopped writing in between the scriptures nowadays. More and more and more. This chunk, okay, Holy Spirit, this chunk, yes, Holy Spirit, and let him speak. We just must get low, 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 low before him. And this is what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. This is Paul. Paul came to the Corinthian church. Everybody know the Corinthian church? History of the Corinthian church is that they were smart. These were very smart, and they had it all, and they were very blessed as people. And he came to them and says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, he says, When I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything. Everybody say, forget everything. I decided I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. It's only Jesus that saves, and it's only Jesus that we need, and it's only Jesus that the world needs. You know what the devil does? Fills us with I mean, the church, listen, I believe in the church more now than I ever have in my life, especially as a pastor. But I truly believe in the gathering together and the building up, but sometimes there's too much church. Churchiness, too much church. It's just Jesus, guys. It's Jesus that does it. And I love that he uses us, uses us to work with each other and build each other and sharpen each other. But if it ever becomes the church over Jesus, then we're failing. If you ever start saying, I, you know, we do it, right? What church do you go to? How many people do you have there? Who cares? That's the very first, am I the only one who gets that question? You're a Christian? What church do you go to? How many people are there? Not very many. We're just a little church. 
that I love everyone. Come on, guys. It's just Jesus. It's not church. It's Jesus. And yet Jesus is the church. It's not the Bible, but yet the Bible is Jesus. Come on, right? Do we see this? How it can be knowledge. It can be in the it can be in a college as a book, or it can be in your heart as life. You can be in the church as a building, or you can, if you have Christ, it's all a heart thing. We must let him renew us. We must get lower so that then the things that he's placed, he has placed his word on this earth on purpose. He preserved it and bound it in leather on purpose and put us together, each of us here on purpose, but without Jesus as the center of all of that, without knowing him, you just know stuff. Without knowing him, you just go to a building. Your identity is not in the church you go to. We didn't make any bumper stickers yet. And I'm not offended at the churches that have bumper stickers. But if I make a bumper sticker, it's just going to say Jesus. <laughs> he said, for I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling. And my message and my preaching were very plain. Nobody's allowed to complain about me preaching. Because Paul said, this is Paul, in the, it's in the Bible. Plain preaching, but, plain preaching, but, rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not the clever and persuasive speech. Who's been touched by clever and persuasive speeches? And then you leave and you go, what did they say again? But the Holy Spirit, when you're left with that, you're like, I don't necessarily remember every word, but the Holy Spirit did something in me today. And he's doing something in me this week. You don't have to remember what the words I say, except that it was the word and the Spirit then does something that changes your heart. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so you would not trust in, everybody say this out loud, in human wisdom. So you would not trust in human wisdom, verse 5, but in the power of God. Verse 6, yet when I'm among mature believers, I do speak with words of wisdom, but, everybody say but, but not the kind of wisdom that belongs to this world or to the rulers of this world who are soon forgotten. No, the wisdom we speak of is the mystery of God, his plan that was previously hidden, even though he made it for our ultimate glory before the world began. But it was to us that God revealed these things by... Revealed these things by... His spirit. It is not revealed in your human mind. It is a spiritual revelation. Your mind will try to rule. Your mind will play tricks on you, right? We have even human natural phrases out there outside of Christ, right? The mind will play tricks on you. My mind's playing tricks on me. It will. But that's why we need the spirit to renew it. You can't, then, you can't just try to control your mind. You can't calm your mind. It's not a natural thing. 
Sure, you can go on a vacation. You can go get quiet. You can do all those natural things, and all you've done is natural things. If it's not the Spirit of God that you're welcoming in to do His work, I'm telling you, and you all have experienced this, but don't stop, don't cross over, and then all of a sudden become something else. Just stay in that humble, simple place where you said, I don't know, but I know that it's you. I just know I need you, Jesus. And so that every revelation that comes, every, uh, as He grows you, matures you, you don't get bigger and more puffed up. You actually get lower. Actually, Paul, this is a strange verse. It's a strange chunk of scripture that people don't like and don't understand, but it's in the word. Paul said, I prayed three times for this prick. And in and, and, and the Bible, it describes it as the, the Greek is that it was like a flicking of the ear. Ever, anybody flick someone's ear before? <laughs> Very annoying feeling. And it says that it was... It irritated him, and he prayed three times for it to leave. And the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. But you know what it was for? You know why? It said because Paul had so much revelation that God allowed, he, he didn't answer Paul's prayer. Some prayers don't get answered. I prayed three times. Nope, I'm not answering that prayer. I want you to lean on my grace. He had so much revelation of God that it was to drive, it made him rely just as he did when he came out of all his human knowledge and came into Christ. He shed it off. In fact, let's look at that. He shed it all off. And then, and we're going to come back to this here. We're going to come back in one moment. It says in Philippians 3 that he shed it all off. It says that first uh, Philippians 3 Verse 3, for we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised, right? It's not unnatural. You know what circumcision was? It was a natural human effort to become clean and pure. And God had ordained it, Old Testament, through Christ. The natural physical circumcision is done. It's a circumcision of the Spirit, a purifying spiritually, uh, spiritually. And it says, we rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my human effort, if anyone could, right? This is Paul, because Paul was schooled. Paul knew it. Paul had so much knowledge of, of God that when Jesus showed himself, it says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church, and for righteousness I obeyed the law without fault. I once, everybody said, Say, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them dung, the New King James says. Literally, the word dung, and you can translate that how you want, 2019. I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. So God took Paul from knowledge to revelation, but Paul to stay humble. See, God doesn't like pride. We don't know everything about Satan, but what we know is that he fell because of pride. We know that something began to happen where he said, why are you God? Who made you God? Something began to happen, and the Bible says that Jesus saw him fall like lightning. 
God doesn't like pride. Pride comes before the fall. Pride comes before the fall. But it says, it says that because of the revelation that he had, he took him from knowledge to revelation and to keep Paul humble for his own good, allowed this inflicting spirit around him so that he had to rely on Jesus and Jesus alone. And even though he was receiving all of this revelation, he went from knowing about to knowing God that he kept, it kept him humble. It is a walk of humility. Everybody say it's a walk of humility. And let's go back and I'll, I'll finish up here in 1 Corinthians. Let's go back there where it says, let's pick up again in verse 10. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 10, it says, God revealed these things by His Spirit. For His Spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. So He says, you know, when I talk, I don't try to talk I don't try to preach humanly. It's a spirit thing. Basically, I'm going to talk in a way that in the natural, it's going to seem simple and foolish, but it, it, to the mature, to those that are willing to listen in the spirit, there's a maturity that I'm speaking. And it says, it says, but it was to us that God revealed these things by his spirit, for his spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. Verse 11, no one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And we have received God's spirit. So we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. When we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. So there is a human wisdom and there is a spiritual wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. You can't even receive the truths unless you are spiritual. You can't be spiritual unless you let God renew your spirit. You don't just become spiritual. You are not, it's not something that even you can do except to just stay low and humble. You just keep humbling yourself and he keeps renewing you. You humble yourself and he keeps renewing you. And his spirit, he begins to show you more and more and more and more. And who's been there? Who has seen God just keep showing you more and more and more? And if the pattern is that he shows you more as you humble yourself, then the more you know, the more humble you'll be. Amen. Does that make sense? It says, and just to finish here, these last few words of these, this chunk of text, and I could say a million more things, but it says, it says we, we, if we're not spiritual, we can't receive it. We must be spiritual. It says it all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. For who can know the Lord's 
thoughts. Who knows enough to teach him? But we understand these things, for we have the mind of Christ. It is only in receiving his mind that we understand. And when you understand, it's not you. It was never you. You lost your head. You died. But you have the head of Christ. The Bible says he's building up the church with NNC as the head. No. He's building up the church with Christ as the head. Amen. Amen. God is good, isn't he? He is so good to us. And we'll continue another time. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We just thank you, God. We thank you, Lord, that you have even renewed us today. We just thank you, Lord. Lord, I pray, Lord Jesus, for your love, Lord. Your word says it's knowledge, it's just a puff of air, Lord, but love, it builds up. It stacks, Lord. There is no... Uh, soft weight. It is dense and it's strong, Lord God. It doesn't compress. Love can be built upon. It can be trusted, Lord God. I just pray that we would be about love. We would love, Lord Jesus. Lord, we'd love you and love each other and love this world, Lord, because in that place, just like Jesus, Jesus is love. And so the picture of love is not our word, but him. And it was humble and obedient to you, and listening to the Spirit, and letting the Spirit lead only, not us. It's never us. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, that even though many will still reject us, just as they rejected Jesus, Lord, whoever will receive our message, because it's in love, Lord, I thank you they'll receive the same joy, and hope, and life, and favor, and mercy that we have. We're just giving what we have, Lord, and we don't try to give anything else I don't try to be anything else, Lord. I pray in your name, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Do a work in us, Lord, today. Lord, show us our hearts. Thank you, Lord. Show us the planks. And Lord Jesus, show us the mind, Lord, that is still trying to rule. Show us, Lord, those things in us, Lord, that are still trying to control. And I pray, Lord, that you would sever that head today, Lord, in Jesus' name, that you would do a supernatural work just as you did, Lord, when we said yes to you. Don't stop, Lord, now. I thank you. Your word says that you are faithful to finish what you started, and you are still dealing with us, Lord, faithfully and with love and with grace and with mercy. We give you glory, Lord, and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Lord.